you here on Father's Day. It's always a special day. I love Father's Day because I'm a father. And so it's kind of our day and we deserve a day. And so uh, anyway, today's the day that, that uh, we set aside uh, to honor our, our fathers, for many to honor the memories uh, of fathers that maybe can't be with us today. Uh, to pay tribute to the ones that we're blessed to still have with us. Some of you are, are like me and you're blessed that your father is uh, still alive. Others here today would tell us that are in that situation to uh, make the most of the time that you get to spend with your dad because life is short and it's fragile. And uh, don't take it for granted. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, the Gospel of Mark again this week. We were there last week, but I want to go to Mark chapter 5 today and just say, you know, this sermon's going to, going to really be addressed at speaking to fathers. I understand there are a lot of people in this room that aren't fathers and a lot of people in this room that... Uh, you know, aren't even men. And so I, I believe there's something in what we're going to be talking about for all of us today. But we are going to be specifically talking to fathers. But if you're not a father today, maybe you would just open your hearts to what God wants to say to you uh, in and through uh, this passage of Scripture we're looking at. How many of you, while you're finding that, how many of you here, any of you here ever been told that you look just like your dad? Any of you? Look just like your dad? Yeah, a, a lot of us, right? Uh, it's amazing sometimes how much people will look like their dad. You know, a lot of times you can get out pictures of when, you know, they were younger. And you can see the similarities when you kind of look at the same age, you know, and, and all that. Uh, many of you may not look like your dad. You may look like your mother. And that's probably even a better thing for most of you. My boys look like their mother. Thankfully, when they were born... Um, in my family, we have a lot of Cherokee uh, blood in our family. And so, you know, males typically uh, through in the Cherokee are born with uh, dark features, dark hair, you know, and brown eyes. And so I just, just knew, you know, my boys were going to have dark hair and brown eyes because every man in our family does. And uh, sure enough, they come out blonde-headed and blue-eyed. And Lynette said, just proof that I did this all by myself, too. Um, <laughs> but uh, some of you look like your mother. No one's ever told me I look like my mother. They often have said I look like my dad. I had a complete stranger come up to me in a store one time. I didn't know the guy from Adam. He walks up to me, and he said, you have got to be Sonny Thrasher's son. And I'm like, why, you heard me before you saw me? And they were like, no. Uh, he said, you look exactly like him. And I was like, oh, well, thanks, you know. But I've never thought that. I've never seen that in myself because my dad has always had incredible hair, all right? He has this phenomenal hair. He still does today. And I've got this, whatever this is, like a Brillo pad that I inherited. But... But, but some of us, you know, we, we look like our dad. Some of us act like our dad. As we get older, we begin to notice, you know, I'm turning into my father here. And, and, and we begin to recognize things that we have heard our father said, like, uh, you know, go ask your mother. You know, we, we learned that from our fathers. Uh, one thing my dad always said when we would return home from a trip, we'd just be pulling in the driveway. And my dad would always say, well... We made it right back where we started from, right? And my family will tell you that anytime we're returning from being uh, gone for very long, when we pull in the driveway, I put it in park, and I'll say, well, we're right back where we started from. 
It was something I learned from my dad and I imagine will be passed on along to my kids and their grandkids. But uh, sadly today, uh, there are a lot of children in this world and in our, even in our community and, and in our church who don't have the blessing of a father being there for them. And uh, in some families, you know, honestly, the father may be there physically, but not really be the kind of father that the child needs in their life, the kind of father that, that God had planned uh, for us to be. And, and many men have, have fathered a child, but that doesn't necessarily make you a father. Just because you fathered a child, it doesn't mean that you're truly being the kind of father uh, that your children uh, needs. And uh, here's the deal. The, the title of father, it carries with it some, some great responsibility. Some big responsibility come along with the title uh, of father. And, and in the story we're going to be looking at today, we're going to meet a man by the name of Jairus. And we're going to see that Jairus was, he was a religious man. He was a, a ruler in the synagogue. But most importantly, Jairus was a father. And I believe we're going to see some really important things uh, today that we can learn from this story. We're going to pick it up starting at verse 21 in Mark chapter 5. Verse 21 says uh, this, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. While he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now, just to put some context to what's taking place here uh, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is, is coming from the, the tombs of the Gerasenes. And those of you that are familiar uh, with what's taking place here, he's just delivered a man from demons. And, and you'll remember he cast the demons into the pigs, and the pigs all ran off the, 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 the uh, bluff there. And it's just kind of a crazy story. But this is the event that has just taken place. Jesus has gotten on a boat. He's traveling across uh, the lake there. When he arrives to the other side, people have heard about Jesus. They've heard about the miracles that he's been performing. They've heard about this amazing teaching and preaching that he's been doing. And so as Jesus travels across the lake, word that of his arrival has already spread over there. And so by the time they get to the other side of the lake, there's this huge crowd of people that have gathered there on the other side of the lake to meet Jesus when he gets there. But we see Mark right here in his gospel, out of that big, huge crowd, there's one particular man that stands out to Mark that Mark writes and records about, this man named Jairus. And again, he was one of the rulers uh, in the synagogue. His, his uh, religious position was very important in the community. He would have been a very highly respected man in the community and among the people uh, that were, were gathered there that day. Uh, and so we find him here now, this man of, of much power and prestige in the community and among the people. We now find him falling at the feet uh, of Jesus. And then scripture says, he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. This man of power, this man of prestige, this man of popularity, he now has a very desperate need, and it happens. 
It happens regardless. You know, we can never become so popular or so powerful that we will rise so high that the problems and troubles of this world won't come at us, right? There's no way to avoid it. Tragedy, sickness, and death are no respecter of person. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much land you own, what your title is, what your business is, or what your name is. does not matter. It's no respecter of person. And so put yourself in Jairus' shoes this morning. A man who is used to being in control has no control over this situation. He is helpless. This man's little girl was dying. And those of you that have children can, can surely relate to this man and understand the, the pain and the agony that he must have been experiencing and going through to know that his little girl uh, was about to die. Some of you may have lost a child, and so you truly can relate to the pain uh, and the hurt. It has got to be one of the most painful tragedies that a parent could ever endure or, or possibly go through. His daughter was dying. And I believe there's three things in the way that Jairus responded to this. Three things that I believe we can learn from this desperate father uh, in our story today. Three things his daughter saw in him that she saw that day in her father that changed her life forever. And the first thing she saw was this, is that her father put aside his pride. He put aside his pride. Jairus put aside his pride, and he was not ashamed to work his way through the crowd. He was not ashamed to run to Jesus. And don't miss this. Her dad sought out Jesus on her behalf. Her dad sought out Jesus. He not only sought him out, but he fell at his feet. And don't miss this. He didn't send his wife. It's driven me crazy for years. Brother Jim kind of passed this on to me. Y'all hear me talk about Brother Jim. He'll be here preaching for you next week. And so you'll hear some great preaching next week while I'm out. But uh, Brother Jim has pastor here for a long time. And we've seen, it's almost nearly, nearly daily that we will have people stop at the church seeking some kind of assistance or some kind of help. And uh, often you'll open the door and there'll be a lady standing there to say, we need money or gas or food or whatever the need may be, and look out in the car, and the man be sitting in the car. And Brother Jim would just let them have it. You know, he'd go to the car and, and, and tell them, you know, this is not her responsibility. This is yours. And so, man, it's not, the, he, he didn't send his wife. He didn't send one of his employees because he was too busy. He had too much going on. The father knew that he needed the father. Right? He knew that he must go. He knew that he must lead the way. When a man takes on the role of being a father, they also take on the responsibility that goes along with being a father. A responsibility that was given to us not by the church. A responsibility that wasn't given to us by society. This was a responsibility that was given us by God himself. And Paul gave specific instructions. He was talking specifically to fathers in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 when he said, Fathers, it's your job to bring up your children in training and instruction of the Lord. 
He wasn't talking to mamas. He wasn't even talking to the church. He specifically was talking to the daddies. It's your responsibility to train and instruct your child in the things of the Lord. God's Word tells us it's the father's responsibility. And when a man takes on the act of becoming a father, there is a responsibility that goes along with that. And it is not the mother's responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. But it's the father's responsibility. And sadly, today in our society and in our culture, there are too many men that have shucked this responsibility that God has placed on us, and I believe we're reaping the fruit of what we have done. Many mothers and churches have had to step in, and they've done a great job because they've had to do it themselves. But many mothers and many churches have stepped in and had to take on the responsibility that the fathers would not fulfill. In our church, we talked about this last week in talking about ministering to our children and to our youth. Our church is definitely here to assist you. Our church is definitely here to partner with you, to help you, to encourage you, to work with you in doing that. But fathers are appointed to be the primary spiritual leaders of their homes and of their families. God has placed them in your care, so handle them with care. Amen? And we see here that Jairus, he was the one who sought out the Lord. He was the one who sought out Jesus, regardless of his social position, regardless of his job title, regardless of the crowd. Jairus humbly sought out and fell at the feet of Jesus, pleading with him, we see. Please help. Please come. My daughter is dying. And listen, I just want to say to you dads, it's all right to let your children see you plead to God for his help. It's okay. It's all right to let them see you cry out to Jesus. It's, it's all right for them to, to know that you have limitations. That you can't do everything and you can't handle everything on your own. It's okay for them to see you show your dependency on the one who you serve. To show faithfulness to the one uh, that you worship on Sunday. What an impact it has on a child's life to hear their parents and their grandparents crying out in the name of the Lord. And not just in church, but in the home. What an impact it has on our children to see us dependent on God. It has a huge impact. Like Jairus, we must seek him. We must seek his wisdom. We must seek his strength and his guidance in our families, in our, in our, li in our children's lives. And not just for our physical needs, but most importantly, their spiritual needs, their spiritual lives. He's, his daughter saw that in him. She saw that in her dad, and our children and grandchildren must see that in us. Our kids are looking to us to see how committed we are to our relationship with God because here's what they're doing. They're watching us to see how they're supposed to act. They're watching us to see how, how they're supposed to worship. They're watching us to see how committed we are to church, how committed we are to God, how committed we are to building the kingdom. They're watching us. To see what we're doing. And then in turn, that's how they will live their life. And their children will be watching them to see what their priorities are. And how committed they are to God. 
You see, it matters. It matters greatly. And let me tell you something. When we get this right, when we get this right, then one day someone might just say to our kids, you know, you look and you act just like your dad. And I see Jesus in you. The story goes on. Let's pick it up now at at verse 23. Jairus is pleading. He says, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. I I think this is important here because I believe we see the, the second lesson from Jairus today in this. He brought Jesus into his home. You see what he did? He invited Jesus to his house. He invited Jesus into his home. This is huge. Jairus' daughter saw her dad bring Jesus into their house. And when I was looking at this again, I thought, you know what? What would our homes look like today if we invited Jesus into them? (laughs) What would our homes look like if we welcomed Jesus' presence in our homes at all times? Years and years ago, I I, uh, did a message with the teens when I was youth pastor upstairs. And uh, I kind of baited them to get to my point. I fabricated this awesome, crazy story. And uh, I say fabricated this awesome story. My wife said I just flat out lied. But it was all for the good of the glory of God. Uh, But... So, so I made up this incredible story that uh, the governor at the time was, was pa- going to be passing through Greenbrier, and he'd called the church. And what he was doing was he was actually starting a, uh, a committee-type group of people, of pastors that would help advise him on religious matters and, and things going on in the community, ministerial needs and all these. And he had contacted me, and he wanted to meet with me, but he wanted to meet me at my house. And then when he said he wanted to meet me at my house, how freaked out I got when I realized what a wreck my house was in. My yard had not been mowed. The house was a wreck. The bed wasn't made. All this stuff, you know. And so I ran home from the church. I mowed the front yard because that was all that was really important. That's all he was going to see anyway was just the front. So I mowed the front yard. I went in the house, made the bed, cleaned the house, got all this. And I got ready for this important visitor that was about to come my way. And I was laying on thick, and they were buying it hook, line and sinker. My wife says, I lie, way too good to be a preacher. But uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, I'm telling this story, they're all in, and then I told them, you know what, none of that is actually true at all. But Jesus did come visit. Matter of fact, he's there all the time. He's there uh, in the house all the time, And, and then I went on to question them about what they would have to do at their house or what they would have to do in their bedroom if they knew Jesus was about to come for a visit. What would they have to do? What would they have to clean? What would they have to hide? What would they have to get rid of if they knew that Jesus was coming to see them? And if he came unannounced, could they even let him in the door? Or would they be too ashamed for him to see what was behind their backs? And while that was a challenging message for teens, big-eyed, while that was a challenging message for those teens that night, I believe it's just as challenging for every single one of us. 
right? Because I can tell you this with, with absolute certainty today. One thing that our country needs today is this, some homes and some families where Jesus resides, <laughs> where he lives, where he's welcomed, where he acknowledges, homes where Jesus is welcome, homes where Jesus is more than just a picture that's hanging on the wall, homes where his presence is acknowledged, homes where his name is honored, homes where his word is obeyed. And I often use this passage in a lot of wedding uh, uh, ceremonies that I perform. It's from Psalm 127 and verse 1. And it says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. In vain. If God is not building our families, if God is not building our homes, then we are building in vain. Like we talked about last week, planting the wind and reaping a whirlwind. I want you to go back with me now to the Old Testament. And I won't read the story. I'll just reference it because I know you've all got big plans to take your dad out. Back in the Old Testament where the plagues are being uh, placed on Egypt. You'll remember that God was bringing one last plague upon Egypt. And, and, and what it was is there was going to be a death angel that was going to pass uh, over their homes. And, and when the death angel passed over, the firstborn of, uh, uh, of each family would be killed in, in that home. And the only safety for the children in that home was the blood of a lamb, right? A, a lamb would have to be sacrificed. The blood from the lamb would have to be taken and, and painted or, or smeared on the doorpost of the home. And it would ensure protection for the family and, and for the children that were there. Now, a lot of you are familiar with the story, but here's a part of the story I don't want you to miss. It was the father who was to sacrifice the lamb. It was the father who would apply the blood of the sacrifice to his home for their protection. And it was the father, it was if the father obeyed. And if the father did what he was told to do and carried out his responsibility, it was only if they did it that the children would be saved. And this is so powerful, right? Fathers, don't miss this here. Pay attention. There is an, a, a death angel that is passing through our community. There is. He's coming with alcohol. He's coming with drugs. He's coming with sexual immorality. And he's coming after your kids. And he's coming after your grandkids. And often he shows up to our homes and we've not only got the door unlocked, we've got it standing wide open, open for him to come right in. And he's coming in through our TVs, through the movies we watch, through the computer, through unprotected and unfiltered electronic devices, through the music that we let our children listen to. Jesus said in John 10, 10 that he's coming to steal, kill, and destroy your homes your children, and your families. And we give him full access most of the time to do just that. And, and, and listen, the only safety for your family, the only safety for your children 
is to apply the blood of the lamb to your home. <laughs> it's all you got. It's all you've got. Apply the blood of the lamb to your home. It's your responsibility to invite and bring Jesus into your home and stand like Joshua and declare for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And before we get to the final point, I want to look at the rest of the story to kind of finish up this second point here. Let's skip down and pick it up now in, in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Verse 38 says, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Look at what he does. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Don't miss this. When Jesus entered Jairus' home, Jesus chose who would be in there. Okay? Do you see that? When Jairus brought Jesus into the home, Jesus became the authority. That's what happens when Jesus is present. He will be the authority. He became the authority. When Jesus is in the house, he will be the authority in the house. And so I guess the question today is this. Is he the authority in yours? Because someday, someone will look at your kids and they'll say, you look just like your dad. Would that be a good thing? Or would that be a bad thing? And then the third thing that we learned from Jairus, Jairus put aside his pride to seek Jesus. He brought Jesus into his home. And then we see that Jairus proved his love. His daughter experienced her father's love for her because he proved it. I, I want you to think about this. What caused him to leave her bedside? Knowing that she was about to die, what caused him to leave his dying daughter's bedside? What drove him to seek out Jesus in that huge crowd of people and humiliate himself and fall at his feet and beg? What, what would cause a man of prestige and, and power to forget his place in society? And disregard what other people might say about him and what other people might think about him. What caused him to do that? Love. He loved his daughter. And love says, I will do whatever it takes to save my child. <laughs> I'll go wherever I have to go, I'll do whatever it takes. 
so that my child might live. Verse 41 goes on to tell us this. Jesus took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Koam, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old, and at this point, they were completely astonished, right? The minds were blown. And we don't know much more about the story other than this, right? We don't know how much longer she lived. We don't know what the future held for her after this day. But, but uh, one thing I can almost guarantee you is this. There was probably never a time that she doubted her father's love for her after this. She probably never doubted it. There was probably not a day that went by that this child didn't know, I'm alive today because of my daddy's love for me. Right? Perhaps she grew up to have uh, children of her own and she would share with them this incredible story of the love that her father had for her and what he did. And, and, And maybe her grandchildren heard the story of how grandpa had went and sought out Jesus and put his reputation on the line and how their mother was brought back to life. And I'm sure her face probably glowed when someone looked at her and said, you know what? You look just like your dad. Wow. All because he owned the responsibility. All because of a daddy's love for his child. Her life, her living was an example of the power of God. And I hope you hear this today. This has really not been a very comfortable message for me to even preach, let alone for y'all to hear. The first group squirmed a lot more than y'all did. That early service, they were squirmers. But uh, I I hope you hear this with the love that I have for you and your families and your kids. I really do. Uh, But here's the deal. Love is not giving your child everything that they ask for. Love is not giving your child everything that they think they want and need. Love is not a closet full of toys. Love is not a bigger allowance. Love is not the latest smartphone that comes out. Listen, love is introducing your children to Jesus. That's love. Sitting them down, looking them in the eye. And saying, you know what? We're Christians, and in this family, we're going to serve Jesus. And because of that, there are some things that I'm going to allow, and there's some things that I'm not going to allow. There's going to be some things that we are going to do, and there are going to be some things that we are not going to do. And oh, by the way, I'm the parent, you're the child, I will make those decisions. (laughs) Right? That's love. That's love. And you may not... You know, we may have to tell them. You may not understand it now. You may not even like me now, but that's okay. Because everything that I'm doing, I'm doing because I love you and I want you to live. I want you to have life and have life for an eternity. That's what matters. That's what's important, right? And that's my prayer for you, that you live together as a family for eternity. 
Because I cannot think of anything more tragic than to live together here and to be separated in eternity. I can't think of anything more tragic. So dads, don't be ashamed to let your children see you put aside your pride and seek the Lord in your life and in your family. Don't be ashamed to acknowledge Him in your home. Don't be ashamed to invite Jesus into your family on a consistent basis. And by all means, prove to your family that you love them by making Jesus the center of your home and the center of your family because it could change their life forever. And that's all that really matters. That's all that matters. And when your kids see Jesus in you, one day they'll reflect back and say, you know what, my dad, he looked just like his dad, his heavenly father. What a legacy to leave our children and our grandchildren. I'm praying for you, and I'd appreciate your prayers for me that we get this right. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much again today for your word. It's powerful and it's challenging, but it's also encouraging. And God, I, I thank you for this reminder today of how much we need you in our lives. This beautiful story of a father's love has been a beautiful reminder to every single one of us of the responsibility that has been placed on us as, as fathers by you. It's your plan. And I understand today that not everyone here is a father, but I also understand that every one of us that have accepted you through faith are followers of Jesus. And so, God, this is, applies to all of us in our everyday lives, that we make you welcome, that we put aside our pride, that we invite you into every situation, every crack and crevice and every closet, that you would be welcome because you are our loving Father. And I pray that as we live our lives on this journey with you and the journey with others here today, that we would always be a beautiful reflection of this kind of love that we've talked about today. I pray that people around us would see your love. They would see your love in and through our lives, in and through our words. And God, we know that when that happens, that you draw people to you, they're attracted to you. They're not attracted to us, they're attracted to you. And God, we just want to be available and be obedient to your call that you've placed on every single one of us as followers of Jesus. I pray for our dads now that as we leave here, that you would continue to give them wisdom, guidance, courage, whatever it is that they need on a daily basis to be the spiritual leaders of their family. I pray that they would just sense that... Uh, you're giving them exactly what they need just now to do that and to be that. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and give you the glory. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And for staying.